Well, how sweet the sound of saving grace. Thank you, Alex and Laura, for leading us into worship this morning. And I pray that it would just get sweeter as we look into God's Word. Speaking of something sweet, chicken fajitas. One of our favorite meals at the Young House, not just because they're easy to make and they feed a crowd, but because chicken fajitas take my wife and I back to our first date. When I made chicken fajitas for my future spouse, didn't know it at the time, uh, I remember it very clearly. We, uh, we went back to my parents' house, and I think my mom had actually helped teach me how to make these uh, chicken fajitas. She might have even marinated them for me ahead of time and cut them up so that I, they would be ready. But uh, I, I, I remember, I even I borrowed my dad's new Chevy Silverado so I didn't have to drive and, and pick her up in my old 85 Chrysler LeBaron that didn't even have paint on it. And uh, I, I was so nervous, though. I picked her up, and we were driving to my parents' house, and I remember this police car pulled out behind us. And I was sure he was going to pull me over. Um, and... Uh, uh, he kind of sped up, and I, I saw him in my rearview mirror, and I thought, oh, man, here I am in my dad's new truck on a first date. And so I start pulling over. I, I slow down. I pull over to the side of the road, and, I, and then all of a sudden, the cop just flies by me. <laughs> and it's one of those moments like, oh, my goodness, I feel so relieved and like a fool at the same time. <laughs> but fortunately, my uh, nervous, in spite of my nervousness, we had a wonderful night, and I chose chicken fajitas because I knew they tasted good and they're pretty easy to mess, or they're not, they're, they're hard to mess up, they're easy to make, and still to this day, we love fajitas because they transport us back to that magical night. And I tell you that not to be all sappy, but to make a point, God has wired all of us to have these memories that are triggered through physical experiences that we, that we have. And so maybe there's a certain song that kind of brings you back to the glory days, or, or maybe there's a smell that will trigger a memory of somebody that you knew in the past. God in his wisdom, though, has ordained specific rituals throughout history for us to, for, to, to trigger our memories and connect us with the past. Today's passage, God has given the Israelites a couple statutes, a couple laws that will help them for the generations to come remember, that it would trigger their memories and strengthen their faith and remind them of His redeeming work, of their redemption from Egypt. Now, it's been a few weeks since we've been in Exodus, so let me do a quick review. So God has been pummeling Pharaoh. In fact, he's pummeled Pharaoh and the Egyptians to the point of submission at this point. They have tasted God's wrath and the ten plagues of judgment. The final plague, the death of the firstborn in all of Egypt was the tipping point. Finally, Pharaoh has released the Israelites, and uh, just as God said, the Israelites took with them everything that they would need. To, to go and, and start up a new nation. And so back in chapter 12, verses 35 and 36, the people of Israel had also done, as Moses told them, they had asked the Egyptians for silver and for gold and jewelry and clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in, their sight, in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked for. 
and they plundered the Egyptians. Okay, so now the Egyptians or the, the Israelites are leaving. The Israelites ha- have left in haste. The, the bread, if you recall, remained unleavened. No time for it to, to rise, which is significant. That would be one of the symbols that would trigger their memories in the, in the times to come, in the generations to come, to bring them back, to remind them of his work. Uh, they, while they've been leaving, God has been giving Moses instructions on exactly how the Israelites were to commemorate this pivotal moment in their history. He's given them detailed instructions on how to celebrate this Passover feast and, and how to celebrate the, the seven days of the, the um, Feast of Unleavened Bread, which today's passage, he's going to talk about that again. But he's going to connect the Festival of Unleavened Bread with something else. He's, he's going to instruct them also to consecrate their firstborn. And there's a connection there. And so today as we're reading through this, uh, I, I want you to pay attention. I want you to notice and try to figure out, okay, what is that connection between consecration of the firstborn and the feast of the unleavened bread? And I, I want you to notice also that he emphasizes that he wants them to remember what he's done through these ceremonies and through these laws, these statutes. Notice also the importance of passing on the story to the next generation. You're going to see that. And then finally, I want you to really think about the significance. Why would God tell them to set aside or set apart, give, consecrate their firstborn? What's the significance of that? Let's pray one more time and we'll, we'll dive into this. Father, our our world is so broken right now and so chaotic, it seems like, but we know that you are not chaotic, that you are always faithful, that you are always steady, that life in you is completely secure. And so, Lord, I pray that as we read your word, that you would help us to understand it, that you would help us, help our hearts to believe the gospel that you would use it, use your word to ground us, to anchor us so that when the storms of life rise up, we can feel secure in your arms. And then help us live in light of that security. Help us live in light of that assurance that is so amazing and so sweet that we would live for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are picking up in chapter 13, starting in verse 1, and I'm just going to read through verse 10, and we're going to stop, and we're going to talk about that, and then we'll go on to verses 11 through 16 here in a few minutes. So starting in verse 1, chapter 13 of Exodus, and if, uh, it'll be up on the screen. Also, you can go to our virtual bulletin if you uh, scan the QR code with your camera, or uh, a lot of you I see have your Bibles with you. So let's dive in together. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then the, Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out, of, out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from his, this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten today in the month of Abib. You are going out, and when the Lord brings you into the 
land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey. You shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, and it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. Let's stop there. So verses 1 and 2 open up the chapter and serve to set the tone of what's about to be said. The consecration of the firstborn, we're going to talk more about that. It's going to be further explained in verses 11 through 16. So we're going to come back to that in a moment. Okay, So that kind of serves as bookends at the beginning and the end of this passage. Verses 3 through 5, Moses is reminding the Israelites of where they have come from and where they're now heading. And it's a reminder of who they were and who they are now. He calls Egypt a house of slavery. It's a reminder of the harsh oppression that they had been forced into and and faced as slaves. And he says to them, remember this day. Remember this day, the day the Lord with a strong hand brought you out of that place so that now you are no longer slaves. You are mine. You are my firstborn, he calls them. Their freedom didn't come from the wisdom or the might of Moses. It didn't come from them working really hard and and somehow earning God's favor. No, their freedom came through the mighty works of God. It was all God. And so the command then is for them to remember this day. Remember what God did for you. Remember where you came from and where I'm taking you. Remember who you were and who you are now because of grace. It's the same call that we are called to today. We so easily forget God's redemptive work, which is why it's so important for us to gather regularly to be reminded of His grace. And then God, once again, he establishes this rhythm for them to help them remember, right? These festivals. Once again, they, they, once they get to the promised land, a land that he describes as full of, of milk and, and honey. In other words, it's a land that is fertile where they're going to prosper. They're going to find joy. They're going to find peace. And once they get to the promised land on this day, every year in the, in the month of Abib, which is later on known as Nisan, today it would be like March, April, in the springtime. He, he says, on this day, every year, you'll eat no leavened bread as a reminder of the haste at which you left the house of slavery in Egypt. And God, God has already given instructions on the Feast of Unleavened Bread back in chapter 12. He restates it here because it's important, and he emphasizes that there's going to be no, you need to have no leaven, no leaven in your house, no leaven even in the entire territory. And if you recall, when we talked about it originally back in chapter 12, it's because leaven represented more than just them leaving in haste. It also, throughout the Bible, leaven represents sin. And so 
once a year, they were supposed to clean their houses completely, clean the territory or the whole territory of this leaven as a symbolic representation of something that was a, a spiritual reality. Okay, it was a, a physical act that represented a spiritual reality, very similar to uh, like when we take communion or when we have a baptism here. There's symbolism here. It's the purification of their, their homes, but also the purifications of their, their souls. That They're a called out people, a people that are supposed to be sanctified, different from the rest of the world. And they, when they were asked by their kids, why are you doing this? They were to respond in first person to take them back, to, to remind them this is what we went through. It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Similar to the Passover feast, the cleaning of their house, the, 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 the tasting of unleavened bread served as a physical reminder, a memory trigger for the generations to come that they would not forget what God had done for them, what they were and what they had become. Look at verse 9, and it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be on your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. Now this was meant to be taken figuratively, okay, not literally. Uh, do these things to remember so that you would think about them often, so that you would talk about them often. And so God gave the Israelites these customs, these festivals, they're a powerful tool to remember His grace and the power of His goodness. To help them remember that they were no longer slaves. They were redeemed. They were rescued. They were set free by the mighty hand of God. Not only did these statues serve to remind them of the past, though, it also pointed to the future of a, of a, a greater redemption, of a, a greater exodus, of a greater freedom that we would see in Christ. And so today, this side of the cross, we don't celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We don't celebrate Passover, uh, at least not traditional Passover. But this side of the cross, God has actually given us better tools and, and, and better ways to be reminded of His work. So every Sunday when we come and we gather together uh, as a church family, through the singing of the gospel and the reading of the gospel and the praying of the gospel and the preaching of the gospel and the, the eating and the drinking of the gospel in communion, God's Spirit transports us back and reminds us of the redeeming work of Christ. And we desperately need that. We're reminded of who we were, that we were slaves to sin, deserving the, the pummeling that Pharaoh got and Egypt got, the wrath of God. And yet now, because of Christ, because of Christ taking on the pummeling, we're now His children. And that brings us to our next passage. Verses 11 through 16, God instructs the Israelites to consecrate their, their firstborn to Him. Pick up with me in verse 11. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as He swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all, the first op all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are male shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or, if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of a man among your sons you shall redeem. 
And when in time to come, uh, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrificed to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So you see some repetition going on here, some emphasis on remembering that it was God who did this. Now let me try to clarify a few things here. Uh, this is kind of a confusing passage. First, notice once again, this statute was to be followed once they got into the promised land. This was not an expectation that they had or that God had for them while they were wandering around in the wilderness. But once you get into the promised land, this is what you need to do to remember my redeeming work. Uh, in fact, God would give them more detailed instructions right before they went into the promised land. But here God makes it clear that all the firstborn of man and beast belong to the Lord. The firstborn male animals were either sacrificed, they were or redeemed, or they were destroyed. Okay, so the animals, if they were clean animals, okay, so if they were appropriate to eat, like a lamb or a goat, they would be sacrificed. The animals that were used for work, like a donkey, they needed to either be redeemed or destroyed. And, then, and they were redeemed by a clean animal like a lamb. Uh, the, the, all the firstborn baby boys, of course, they needed to be redeemed. They could not be destroyed. And so what's the purpose with all of this? I mean, this is kind of weird, right? Okay, this, this, just, this is just strange. So what's, all the, what's going on here? Well, first we need to understand the significance of the firstborn. In biblical times, the firstborn was highly valued, highly honored. They were given a greater inheritance. They were given greater responsibility. God calls Israel his firstborn. That's significant. In Genesis 49, Jacob, on his deathbed, he brings his 12 sons and he blesses them. And he takes his firstborn, Reuben. He says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. And so God, after redeeming his firstborn from slavery... After redeeming Israel, his firstborn from slavery, he says to them, look, I want you to consecrate to me all your firstborn, whatever is the first to open up the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. That was the first, uh, that was the second verse in this chapter, right? And so by giving God their firstborn, what are they doing? They're constantly being reminded that they belong to God. As a nation, they belong to him. He had purchased them with blood in Egypt, and so now they belong to him. Romans 14, verses 7 and 8. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Let me ask you a question. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear somebody say, you belong to the Lord? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? I, I think a lot of people in our hyper-individualized culture, when they hear those words that you belong to the Lord, it's not actually a good thing to them. 
Maybe even on a subconscious level, for some of us, it's not a good thing. I, I think a lot of people, they hear that, and it sounds oppressive to our ears. It, it sounds as if, okay, God owns us as his slaves. And perhaps it's because too often we think of God as a taskmaster or a judge rather than a father, rather than a gentle and lowly Savior who says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. When we think about belonging to God, it ought to be something that, that's precious to us, not a scary notion. Uh, the, the very first question, I think this is really interesting, the very first question in the New City Catechism, okay, so for those of you who have gone over this before, and if you don't have the New City Catechism app on your phone, I would highly suggest you get it. And it's a great study tool, and it gives you a great foundation in theology. But the very first question is, is this. What is our only hope in life and death? What is it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm playing with you. I'm playing with you. This is the answer. Put, put Alex on the spot. Um, the answer is this. That we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. That we are not our own, but we belong. Our only hope is that we are not our own, but we belong. To belong to God is our only hope. It's our hope, not our fear, because we're not His slaves. We're his children. And, and yes, we serve him, but we don't serve him because we, we fear punishment. We don't serve him because we have to. We serve him because we get to. We don't serve him because we fear punishment. We serve him because he has already taken the punishment that we deserved through dying on the cross in our place. Here's another way to think about it. Okay, so God requiring this, the, the, all the firstborn. Okay, he requires all the firstborn. It not only teaches us that we belong to him. Think about this. It also teaches us that God desires, in fact, God requires our first and our best. Let me say that again. The fact that God wants their firstborn, what was he teaching them? One, he, that they belong to him, but also that he demands their first, and their best. And we see this pattern throughout Scripture. All the way back to Cain and Abel, right? Cain brings uh, a, a sacrifice or a, an offering to the Lord, and, and so does his brother Abel. Abel brought his first and his best. Cain brought his leftovers. God accepts Abel's offering, but he rejects Cain's offering, right? Uh, you think about the first commandment. What's the first commandment? That you shall have no other gods besides me. How, how does Jesus sum up all of the laws in the Old Testament? He says, you need to love your God with half your heart. No, he doesn't say that, right? He says, all your heart, all, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But the problem is this. None of us have done that. None of us have done that. None of us have given God our first and our best. We've all failed at that. None of us have loved him with all, all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. None of us have loved our neighbor as ourselves. All of us, like Cain, have given God our leftovers if we give him anything at all. But God, 
right? But God, in love, full of mercy, gave his first and his best on our behalf. That's the gospel. And Jesus, who was the firstborn of all of creation, right? Is what he's called. Willingly gave up his birthright for a season left the comfort of heaven, was born in a stable to a humble family, was rejected by his own people, was denied and betrayed by his own friends. He was hung high and spread wide by the Romans for a crime he did not commit, where he bled and he cried out in anguish to his heavenly Father. Why have you forsaken me? Why would he do that? Why would he do that willingly? The only plausible reason is that he did it for you, and he did it for me. He was pierced for our transgressions because he loves us and desires to be with us more than he desired his own life. He was oppressed and afflicted so that we could be freed and accepted. And so as we move into a time of communion. This is our moment where we are called to remember. Do this in remembrance of me, right? Because this is a a powerful, life-changing moment for us when we take communion because it brings us back, it transports us back, just like chicken fajitas transports my wife and I back to that magical moment. Communion is meant to transport us back to the moment where Jesus is hung high and spread wide for us. And it reminds us that we belong. It reminds us of who we used to be, slaves to sin, and who we are now, his children. Not his We're children not of a slave master, but of a suffering servant, a loving father. It reminds us that we're redeemed, that we're chosen, that we're, we're loved and accepted, that we are secure in his arms, and there is no safer place than that. It reminds us that his blood was shed for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. It reminds us that his body was given to us, that his righteousness was granted and declared our righteousness. So now, like we read earlier, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so today, if you're not in Christ Jesus, if you've never trusted in Christ, I want to plead with you and, and pray for you that God would open up your spiritual eyes to know the beauty and the treasure that we have in Christ. The, the, it is truly sweet. And, and I pray that if you have trusted in Christ, that you would live in light of the security that you have in Him and that you would desire to proclaim it to the world. If you're in Christ and you would be obedient to, to baptism as a way that we, we proclaim to the world that I am in Christ, that he has saved me, and now I, I live in light of him. And so let's pray that, that God would continue to remind us
through communion and through the singing of the gospel and the reading of the gospel of his salvation. Father, thank you so much that you have not just saved us and and said good luck, but you have given us real, meaningful ways to be reminded in in a powerful, life-changing way that we would be reminded through your Spirit and taken back, transported back to, to your to the cross, to what you've done for us there and what you're doing through us now and in us now, that we are not the same and that you continue to change us by your spirit and form us into your image. And so we thank you for that. We plead for more mercy and more grace and More than anything, Lord, I pray that as we commune together as a family, that the joy of our salvation would increase. In Jesus' name, amen. And and so today, uh, we've moved all the communion, and hopefully you were able to get it on your way in. If you haven't, you can definitely go get the elements are in in the back. Uh, This is a time for us to really commune together, to worship together, to praise God together for what he has done for us. And so if you're a believer, I encourage you to join us in the celebration of communion. If you've got questions about salvation or what it means to be in Christ, please don't leave today until you get those questions answered. Or if you've got questions about membership or baptism or anything else, don't leave today until you get those questions answered. If you need somebody to pray with, I would love to pray with you. I'll be in the back. But you come as God is calling you to respond. After everybody's taking communion, we're going to stand together. We're going to sing together. Um, You can give on your way out. There's a box in the back. Or you can give online too.